Lord, we give you praise and thanks uh, for your amazing grace in our lives. We thank you that we only can see because of your grace. And we pray that once again you'll remind us of, of what you have done. Lord, that we may go out really in thanksgiving, that we may glorify your name in all that we do. Speak to us and build us up, for not for our sake, but for your name's sake. In Jesus' name. Amen. I've changed the title, which often happens between Friday evening and Sunday morning. We do not lose heart. But um, Penn Jillette uh, says this. Um, I've quoted him before, but it's, a, it's, it's been going around for a bit. He said, I've always said that I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there is heaven and hell, and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life, and you think it's not really worth telling them this because it would be socially awkward. And atheists who think that people shouldn't proselytize, who say just leave alone and keep your religion to yourself. How much do you have to hate somebody to not to proselytize? I mean, if... Uh, if, I, if I believed beyond the shadow of die, doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe that truck was bearing down on you and there's a certain point in which I tackle you and this is more important than that. Once again, this isn't some evangelist saying this. This is an atheist magician who says this. But he understands why Christians go around and telling people about Jesus. He understands that it really comes from love to sharing what's important to them. So if you're not a Christian today, and you're here with us, you're here with us, thank you so much for joining us. And I know that some of you might be tired of hearing from your Christian wife or husband, children or friends and colleagues, but I hope you understand this, that they're doing it really out of love. They're doing it because they're convinced that there is such a thing as heaven and hell. They're convinced that Jesus has died to take away our sin and the consequences of our sin and judgment. They're telling you because they love you. And as long as they love you, they will hopefully, they, they will hopefully tell you about Jesus again and again. But trouble is, many of us here who are in that situation, as we share the Christian faith to many people around us who we love, who we pray for every day, they continue to reject Christ. And if you're in that situation, if you're in that situation, you're not alone. In fact, Second Corinthians, and much of Second Corinthians, and Paul, his situation was similar. Gospel ministry will have disappointments. Gospel ministry will incite these strong objections. Gospel ministry will, uh, will bring about social isolation, disappointments, persecution even. And Paul faced all of them. But this is what he says to himself when he's discouraged. Take a look at verse 1. He reminds himself, Therefore, since we have this ministry out of God's mercy, we do not lose heart. We do not lose heart because God has given this ministry out of God's great mercy for us. We do not lose heart. And we have to get a few things straight uh, from this passage in order for us not to lose heart in our ministry. First of all, we have to understand why people reject Christ and the veil that is over people's eyes. 
And secondly, we have to get it clear what God's role is in ministry and God's role is in evangelism. And, and thirdly, what our role is. It's often when we confuse the two, we are discouraged. So the veil and God's role and our role. So let's take a look at why people reject Christ. Last week, Paul talked about how God, uh, how people can see God's glory uh, clearly. It's as if through uh, seeing through a veil. The old covenant, as glorious as that was, it, it didn't display the full glory of Christ. And even through the creation, all the things, glory of the music that we heard last night, glory of the creation, glory of the things that we see around the world, the glory of the image of God in each one of us, it only is through seeing a veil, through, through a veil. We don't see God clearly in all of them. We can only see God clearly in the face of Jesus Christ, whom the Spirit points to in our hearts. As we've heard last week, the gospel is veiled. And Paul tells us in verse 3, that it is veiled to those who are perishing. And we get the sense that people don't see quite clearly in this world, do, uh, uh, don't we? Maybe it's materialism in Hong Kong that blinds people. The belief that there is no, no, no other thing than the material world that, 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 that they can see. And it's cousin that only the material things are valuable in this world. Maybe it's the traditional religions that people are steeped in. That ancestor worship, those statues that people bow, bow down to. And when I look at them, I think, how could people bow down and worship the thing that they have made with their own hands, as Isaiah tells us? But there is a veil. Maybe it's cynicism that's blind, that blinds our eyes. The belief or the thought that, well, the truth can't be known, and so it's not worth bothering anyway. And maybe it's busyness in Hong Kong. Life of busyness, the tyranny or the dictatorship of the urgent over the important. People just don't have the time to sit down and think about the important things because they're so busy living their lives. I think maybe entertainment culture, that's all around us as well. Things that constantly stimulate our senses but does not engage our mind and our heart. Maybe that's blinded us. And often, we think that if we remove these veils from people's eyes, then they will see clearly. They will see Jesus. Often, we think that we, if we argue well enough, we, if we educate people, show people through Christ the way that we live, in the way that we live, then they will see clearly. And I often think that as I talk to non-Christians as well. I think, well, if you just see what I see, if you understand what I know, then you will see Jesus. But if you've ever done evangelism, if you've ever gone out there to explain the Christian faith to people, you might have done a great job. You might have removed all the objections. You might have explained why the, the Bible is historically reliable, why the resurrection is really true, and it almost can be proved uh, through, through, uh, through history. That maybe you've even answered good and given, given good answers to the objection of problem of evil, why God will, would allow suffering in this world. All of that... But then you come to a point where it's, it's just banging on against the wall. It's just running your head against the wall because they're not, uh, they're not budging. It's not going any further. And if you have had that experience, and if that is your experience right now, be encouraged because it's not your fault. Ultimately, it's not your fault. Paul gives the reason why this happens. 
Paul says that the game is rigged. You aren't playing a fair game. It was never an equal playing field between you and that person. See what Paul says in verse 4. The God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the, glo- light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, the image of God. Behind that materialism, ancestor worship, dullness of our minds through this entertainment culture, behind the busyness or cynicism is the God of this age. He has blinded people's eyes so they cannot see the glory of Christ. Of course, the Bible doesn't give us this dualistic view of the world. It's not God versus Satan. It's not like that. In fact, I mean, Paul calls this Satan God of this age. His power is limited. His time is limited. But Paul's clear that he exists. He is in this world, and he's not just some impersonal force or philosophical idea that's in this world, but a personal being who opposes God and God's glory, who's devoted to preventing people from seeing the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, so that you might not display the glory of Christ in your life. He's devoted to that. He's working 24-7 to prevent people from seeing God's glory. The game is rigged. And this is part of the reason why Paul says, don't be discouraged. Don't be discouraged when you're running into against a wall, when you're, you feel like it's not going any further. It's not. It was never ultimately your fault. It's not your parenting skills if your kids have fallen away. If you, it's not your lack of education or arguments, good arguments, or hypocritical life that you live. You and I all live hypocritical lives on a certain level. It's not your incompetency either. God of this age is at work. God of this age is at work. But this then is why it's so important that we get the second point right as well. What it takes for a person to go from darkness to light is nothing less than a miracle equivalent to the act of creation in the beginning of time. And thankfully, Paul says that's exactly what happens in evangelism. In verse 6, God who said, let light shine out of darkness, must make his light shine on our hearts so that we may see Christ. When somebody sees the face of God in Christ, when somebody turns to Christ, a divine action has taken place in their heart. A miracle of recreation has taken place in that person's life. And in a way, that's why we tell others about Christ too, don't we? It's because each one of us has experienced this miracle happening in our hearts. We want other people to know about Jesus in the same way. That's why we tell others. That's why Paul, I think, tells others about his experience I think he has that in his mind as he writes this. Remember how he came to his faith. He was on his way to Damascus to persecute Christians when a light from heaven appeared and flashed around him, and he literally became blind. And later on, literally, some veil, scales fell from his eyes, and he could see Christ. 
Now, your conversion story is probably less glorious than that, less dramatic than that, but I assure you, it's, it's just as miraculous as that. I'm sorry, it rings, the sound rings a bit, uh, if we can, I, I do sound like God, uh, with the <laughs> ringing sound, which is very helpful, but um, <laughs> anyway. Now, your, your conversion story is probably not as dramatic, but it is just as miraculous. Maybe you mumbled some incoherent prayer before you went to bed um, and accepted Christ. Maybe it was uh, you couldn't pray. You didn't know how to pray. Maybe it was somebody else who prayed on your behalf and you just followed the prayer. Maybe it's um, just that uh, you've grown up uh, with Christian parents and they have told you and you somehow just saw Christ all your life. But however you became a Christian, whether that was through some visible light and audible sound or that was just some quiet tugging of your heart, Every single one of you who have turned to Christ, that was a miracle of God intervening in your life, giving you a new heart and letting letting Christ's light shine in your heart. That was a miracle that happened. God unveiled your mind and God let his light shine. It's nothing less than a miracle. So if you're a Christian today, Maybe it's just time for you to give thanks for what God has done in your life. We take this Christian faith for granted many times, don't we? Maybe it's just time for us to pause and say, God, thank you so much for what you have done in my life that I may be able to see you. And if you're not a Christian and you've been searching for Christ and you've read books and you've done all sorts of things um, in your life to really seek God, But you're just, once again, you're not quite there. Maybe it's time for you to sit down, get on your knees, and pray. Pray to God, God, unveil my heart. I want to see you. And Christ tells us that he never turns away those who come to him. Never. And if you have been sharing, if you're a Christian and have been sharing Christian faith with others, and you just can't make your uh, the headway, Maybe it's time for us to get down on our knees and pray. Pray for people. This part is not our part. We can't convert anyone. This is God's part. Don't lose heart and leave it to his good timing and keep on praying. This is uh, St. Monica of Hippo, St. Augustine's mother, who prayed for St. Augustine's conversion for 17 years. She asked all the priests that she knew to pray for her son. In fact, the, the, the story goes that these priests started to avoid, avoid her because they thought it was getting hopeless. But she kept on praying. She kept on sharing the faith. And in one day, in year um, 387, Bishop Ambrose baptized St. Augustine, arguably the most influential theologian in the Christian history. In the same year, Monica died. We can't do evangelism by ourselves. We can't. God has to open blind people's eyes. God has to remove this heart of stone and put a new heart of flesh. And God has to write it through his spirit, his law in our hearts. God has to speak, let light shine out of darkness. So pray. So pray. But actually, that's not what this text says. <laughs> it doesn't even say, live a good life. Live a good life. Um, that's when we talk about evangelism, people immediately seem to jump to this conclusion. We need to live a good life. 
Words have their limits, but our lives speak loudly. And they also quote St. Francis of Assisi, who, who said, Words have limit, uh, no, uh, uh, preach the gospel at all times and use words when necessary. And that's all true. Living our lives well, working in your, in your workplace well is very, very important. Working, living with honesty, integrity, love, forgiveness are all important. And if you live your lives in an extraordinary way, maybe some people will come and ask you, why do you live this way? Maybe they will. But the point is, many won't. And the text doesn't just say, live a good life. It doesn't just say, pray the prayer. Did you catch the word preach in verse 5 in this text? Preach. For we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as our Lord and ourselves as your servant for Jesus' sake. We preach Jesus Christ. We preach Jesus Christ as our Lord and ourselves as people who serve others for Jesus' sake. This part is really about speaking. Paul writes in Romans 10, um, chapter 10, verses 13 and 14, as uh, that's displayed there. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they hear uh, how then can they call on the one that they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? We are to preach Jesus Christ. We are to speak so that people can hear the name of Christ. You might say our actions have limits. Uh, or, or, sorry, our actions speak louder than words. But Paul's clear that your actions have limits as well. At some point, people will need to hear the gospel story. At some point, people will need to hear the name of Jesus in your office, in your homes, schools, school, uh, family gatherings. How will they believe if no one tells them about Jesus? And Paul gives us some guidelines on how we can speak and what we can say. For example, in verse 2, he tells us not to use deception. If Paul lived in our days, he might talk about maybe emotional manipulation that sometimes go on in churches. I remember in my days as a student worker at All Souls, um, we used to run this uh, 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 retreat for non-Christians. We took them away to a scenic farmhouse. We loved them. We showered them with love. We answered all their questions. We prayed for them. Um, and now I remember uh, in my team meeting, uh, I was telling the team leaders, you know, what a great opportunity for us to convert people this weekend. I asked them to pray that people might come to know Christ in this weekend. And then a team member told me, he pulled me aside and he, he told me, he reminded me of this verse. And he said, we should be clear that there should be no emotional manipulation going on in this weekend. He sensed in me a little bit of a desire to engineer this artificial reaction, maybe put subtle pressure for people to uh, turn to Christ. He reminded me of this passage and said, our job isn't to convert people. Our job is to set forth the truth plainly, and it's God's job to convert people. No deception, no deception. And also as we speak, Paul tells us not to distort the word of God in the same verse, verse 2. 
you know, sometimes we leave bits of the gospel as we tell people about Jesus, don't we? We say that Jesus has come to save us, and he has died for you. But we don't talk, talk about Jesus' call of discipleship, that we do have to leave everything to follow him, that we must lose our life in order to gain our life. Maybe we tell people how much God loves them, but without telling them, God is also angry at our sin, that there is a judgment and there is such a thing as hell. One of the last year's best-selling book is called, um, Rob Bell's book um, called Love Wins. Bell has this uh, style of asking um, people questions. In fact, he seems to challenge Orthodox Christianity by not through making definitive statements. He seems to ask these questions, open-ended questions. What if? Is it really? But the problem with this book, the problem with his questions is that the answers, his questions lead to the path that, that the Bible does not take us to. Let me give you one example. He tells us the very introduction, a funeral, tells us of a funeral of a young high school student who was killed in a car accident. In this funeral, um, the, uh, a Christian uh, was there, uh, uh, and she was asked uh, whether she knew if he was a Christian. She said he told people that he was an atheist. Then this Christian man answered, ah, oh, then there's no hope. And after telling this story, he goes on to write, no hope? Is that the Christian message? Is that what Jesus offers this world? Is that the sacred call of Christians to announce that there is no hope? You know, of course I wish that there was hope. For this young man, of course, I wish that he could stand with me in the new creation when Jesus comes back. Of course, I wish that to be true. But we are people who do not distort the word of God. And the scripture says, if we live in rebellion against this living God who has given himself to us, that if we continue to reject his ways, we are creatures that deserve God's wrath. That is not okay to ignore God. It is not okay to live in open defiance of God, to reject His Son, to, who, who, who died to take God's wrath upon Himself so, uh, so that we could have life that He deserves. We do not distort the Word of God. Paul continues in verse 2, On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. Our job is to tell the truth plainly. Point people to Christ, trusting that God will do the work. Ministry does get tough. Paul's ministry was tough. But you see, it's only through God's mercy we have this ministry. Paul is immeasurably thankful that he has that ministry, that God has appeared in his life to show him the light of the glory of glory of God in Christ Jesus. All of us, God has shown that miracle in us. God has shown his light in all of us. We have this ministry because of God's mercy. Remember that. This church is possible because God has called each one of us. 
That is the hope that we have in Christ as we go out, that as we speak of the truth plainly, that God will do the thing that God has done already in us, that God will speak to others. Isn't it good news that that part is not our part? That part is God's part. That we don't need to make the gospel attractive. We don't need to make, to, to change the gospel here and there so that people can hear it better. That's not our part. So be bold. Be bold. Proclaim Jesus as Lord. And don't lose heart. Let's pray.